0: You know what? He's welcome in my heart because he loves (laughs) me. Amen. Brother column please come up to the front, brother, and share the word of the Lord this morning. May God bless you and welcome in the house of the Lord here. Okay, are we live now, yeah? So greetings anyway from um, from Montana. And um, I've been keeping a close, um, paying close attention to the teaching here. I followed all of the teaching on Revelations, and I followed James, and I listened last week to the teaching concerning where we go when we die. And I have to say, you're getting good spiritual food here, or to borrow an Australian parlance, good spiritual tucker. So we praise the Lord for that, and that is the exception nowadays. The actual, you take it for granted when you're in a church where the word of God is preached, and you don't have to go too far out there to realize that that's not the case. There is a famine for the preaching of the word of God in the world we live in nowadays, unfortunately. So there's an important space to fill and um, we have to be diligent about preaching the full counsel of God and preaching the word correctly. So I want to talk about Ephesians. Ephesians is a, is a wonderful um, epistle. And it's a little bit different to, to the other ones. You know, some are correctional. You have the ones to Galatians. They're talking about the foolish Galatians. There's letters to Timothy. You know, there's the Colossians. There's the Thessalonians. Ephesians is a bit different. Ephesians is a proclamation or a statement, really, or a blueprint for the, the correct Christian life, or the spiritual Christian life. And it goes through uh, a separate sort of a theme in each of the chapters, and it comes to a conclusion, then, in the area of the spiritual battle. And um, just, again, for an overview, we'll just spend a few minutes and just look at what the, the book contains. Now, it's interesting, the book is written when Paul is in prison, at about uh, 61 AD. So it's about, if you do your psalms, that's about 27 or 28 years after um, the crucifixion, after, after Jesus uh, was crucified and ascended to, to heaven. So it's not that long after. And he's in Rome because he wanted to appeal to Caesar, and he ended up in prison. And, you know, it's interesting. You may think the prison's a very dark place, and it's a place perhaps where You may not be joyful, you may be distressed, or um, depressed, or you may even give up. Not Paul. Paul writes some of the most profound works on paper while in prison. Ephesians being one, Colossians being another. Colossians, if you want to understand the full theology of who Jesus is, you'd read Colossians. So there's some amazing things were written. And if you want to just apply something to our lives this morning, we could say, if you're in a very difficult situation this morning, now I can look at everyone here, you can look at me, you might look well dressed, you might look like you're relaxed or calm, but under the surface, you don't know what's going on in an individual's life. So you may be going, undergoing great trial and great turmoil at this very moment, but you can still have the joy of the Lord and you can still overcome. Now I remember once I heard a story and it was uh, on some teaching by Jacob Prash and it concerned Richard Wormbrandt, who was a Romanian Jew who who came to the Lord and he's he's well known for his connection with the voice of the martyrs and this story concerned in the old communist days of Romania which is pre Ceausescu or pre 1989 I think it was when his own people executed him he was a dictator and and a a tyrant and the Christians weren't treated well either there or in the other um, Eastern Bloc countries and this account which is a true account concerns a peasant who was in one of Ceausescu's prisons and a peasant, an unmarried peasant. But in his time in prison, he went around with the joy of the Lord, as John said this morning. He used the opportunity to preach to others, the good news, and he did it with joy. He did it in difficult circumstances, while people were being tortured, mentally, physically, and tormented around them. While people, perhaps, were dying, perhaps not even knowing about his own family or you know what the, what the situation was with them. And one day, there was a scientist from. University of Bucharest, I think the account was, was put in prison with him. He was an atheist, didn't believe in, in Jesus or God, but he was what they called then a refusenik. He wasn't a communist, so he's put in for being a dissident. And he seen this gentleman and he belittled him and he made fun of him. And, you know, he would say, you know, what are you on about? What are you doing? He says, why, why are you doing this? And he says, well, it gives me joy to preach the word of the Lord. I get joy from doing this. And he says, well, you preach the word of the Lord, do people respond? He says, Yes, they do respond. He says, Tell me, have you ever heard Jesus? Yes, I hear Jesus all the time. You speak to him and you hear him, yes. This is in a mocking tone. And I went on, he asked a few questions, and he said, Have you ever heard have you ever seen Jesus smile? He says, I have seen Jesus smile. You mean you really have seen Jesus smile? And he said, Yes. He turned around and he smiled at the at this other prisoner. And the Shekinah glory of blood came upon the peasant and filled the cell. This man went down on his knees and banged the ground. He said, you've seen Jesus, you've seen Jesus. And he did become a Christian after. So that's an example of great things that can happen in the darkest places. So you know, so no matter what your station is in life, what you're undergoing, you can be used of the Lord and you can be victorious. And I think this book of Ephesians tells quite a bit about victory. Now there's many isms. There's communism. There's um, different... Um, Socialism and, I'll get my technology right here. This is the first time I've done this. There's many different isms, but they don't lead anywhere. Ultimately, because they're under man, they lead to destruction. They lead to disappointment, and, you know, there's no hope in them. Ephesians presents a picture of victory and glory in the Christian life. Now, the first chapter of Ephesians, I'll spend about 10 minutes just doing a quick run through, and then we'll concentrate on this battle this great battle we want to talk about which is very relevant to the times now after particularly what's happened in the last few weeks here ephesians is a, chapter one concerns the topic of redemption and we just look at a couple of verses you'll see if you look at verse seven there's a well-known verse there it says in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace so it only came by the blood of jesus and it's all by his grace and we have that this one it's a statement we have that. It talks in verse 11 about our inheritance. It says, in whom we have all obtained an inheritance. Now, you may not be very well off materially this morning, but you have a wonderful spiritual inheritance. Any material inheritance you have this morning, it's passing and it's only temporal. Naked you come into this world and naked you go out, as the book of Job says. That'll be your lot. So you, you can't, you can't um, bring material wealth or material possessions with you That reminds me of a story, another story about, they might have told us before, about the reading of a will. There was this family, and one of the members of the family died. And the will was about to be read. And the family gathered together to hear the reading of the will by the executor. And um, they were all excited, of course. And one person couldn't contain his excitement. And he jumped ahead before the reading. And he says, what did he leave? Uh, Which the response was, everything. That's the message. Everything you have this morning that's material, you're leaving behind you. So your emphasis and your concentration should be on those things that have eternal value, spiritual inheritance. And uh, you know, we can get caught up in the world. There is balance in everything. But if you get caught up and tied up in this life and in the material things of this life, you're going to lose out in the eternal, because you won't have anything to bring with you. And we'll talk a bit later about the behemoth seed and about what gets burned up there during that judgment. Now I mentioned Colossians a few minutes ago. Also in that first chapter, if you look at verses 21 to 22, there's a statement there concerning who Jesus is and what what his position is. It says he's far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. All things are put under his feet. When we come again to look at this great spiritual battle after, we know that Satan is a a wounded enemy. He's quite a formidable enemy. He's mighty but he is under the dominion of Jesus. He is a created being. He is not omniscient and he's not omnipresent. Different to Jesus. So what we should take from that is we're actually warring on the the winning side. We should be encouraged. We should never lose sight of the fact that the victory is in Jesus. So that's a profound thing in itself. And if you want to, as, as I said earlier, if you want to read more in depth about the theology of who Jesus is, have a look at Colossians and it goes into greater detail. And it's, um, it really does open up your, your, your spiritual understanding of who we serve and who our Lord is. Now I can think of times um, witnessing, witnessing occasionally into the center of Melbourne talking to people about um, Jesus. And quite often you engage Muslims and you will say, well, do you know who Jesus is? And I say, yes, we do. He's, he's a he's a prophet of Islam. And I say, well, do you believe Jesus sinned and they'll say no I well, said, so what about muhammad if you read about muhammad if you read the historical account of muhammad is his hands are covered in blood he's you, you cannot say he's sinless and they'll get a little bit ruffled but they will just dis- they will cast that off and say no all of our prophets are sinless i don't believe that i believe jesus is the only sinless perfect one who we just heard a moment ago shed his blood and died on the cross for our sins so there is a a profound difference between Jesus and Muhammad and a profound difference, I think I heard this mentioned a few weeks ago here, between Jesus and Allah and the God we serve. Not the same at all, amen. Now chapter two changes the topic. It's talking about reconciliation. Uh, We're saved by grace. Now in verses two to six, it talks there about being taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we bear in mind this morning as, as we're here as saved people number one, and then when we look out we talk about the unsaved, that there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness, and there's the kingdom of light. And I, I use this, you know, just in witnessing or in, when we get a chance to, to talk in the streets, to just to really convey to people, although they're blinded and they don't realize it, you, they only serve one or two masters. You either serve the God of this world, Satan, the prince of darkness, or you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no in-between position. There's no other um, God or... or there are many gods, but they all come under Satan. But ultimately, you only serve Satan or serve Jesus. And it's like that scripture concerning in Matthew. You know, no man can serve two masters. Either he will love one and hate the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon normally is taken to be a, cr- a picture of material wealth and material well being. But it's also, it talks, it's, it's a symbolic of the God behind mammon, which is Satan again. So you can't serve Satan and you can't serve Jesus at the same time. Now, praise God this morning, we come out of one kingdom into the, into the kingdom of light. But we bear in mind this morning that there's so many around us, as we heard again over the communion table, that are trapped, imprisoned, as it were, in the kingdom of darkness. And, you know, we're not to um, shake our fists at them or, or go physically, physically against them. We have to fight the spiritual battle. To see them released, they need to be released. They're in they're in a desperate situation. They don't realise it. They're blinded by the god of this world. The scripture says. And it also says later on in that chapter two, that he has made peace. God's made peace between us, or Jesus through Jesus, we have peace with God effectively. And you know that 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 is a profound statement in itself. You know we talked this we we'll talked this morning about Satan, how formidable he is, the damage he can he can. Uh, uh reap and, and uh bring about throughout this world but there's a far worse enemy than satan you know, the scripture says in matthew 10 10 not to fear those who can kill the body but to fear more him who can kill the soul and the body and cast it into hell so it's a very very good point this morning to remember that to begin with the fear of god the fear of god is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom and uh that's a profound statement out of this chapter as well so believe me god is the one we should fear not satan satan is overcome and if we do things according to this book and apply the warfare in the correct way satan will be defeated amen chapter three just to continue with the overview talks about a great mystery now the great mystery mystery is a revealing of something that previously was unknown or hidden christ revealed to paul that there was a way through for the Gentiles also, and he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. The mystery is that through this gospel this morning, that we are grafted also into the vine of Israel and the Jewish people to the Lord. So we're grafted in, and that became possible because of the calling of Paul by the Lord Jesus. Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus in a miraculous way and was brought to his knees, just like that gentleman in the prison cell in Romania, he was brought to his knee because he's seen the risen Jesus and he realized who he was persecuting. You know, he was confronted by Jesus. So he had his life turned around and preached his wonderful gospel and became the apostle to the Gentiles. And when you consider where he comes from and consider about the people we're talking this morning in the world, you know, whether they're in ISIS or, in, or you know, whatever extreme outfit they're in, If Paul can be saved, there's hope for anyone in this world to be saved by the preaching of the gospel and by God's marvellous and wonderful grace. Chapter 4. Chapter 4 takes a change in direction because in those first three chapters, we're talking about what God has done. Now we come into play. What are we asked to do? And now we're we're talking chapter 4 onwards up to the point where we come to the section on the spiritual warfare and the armour of God about things we need to do to be spiritually prepared for this great battle. Uh, just to pick a couple of verses, in chapter four, it talks in verses two to six about loneliness and gentleness and how we should walk as Christians. It talks about being long-suffering. If you look at what long-suffering it means, it means not retaliating when we have every right to retaliate in a particular situation. So we're not to take it out on people. We're not to react physically or or outburst against people, our battle is spiritual. So we're not to do that. We're to be long-suffering. We're called to have these qualities and to display them in our Christian walk. So we've got to do everything we can in the church to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And that requires effort from our behalves because people are different. We're all different. We're all different idiosyncrasies, different ways of, of, of behaving, different ways of, of perhaps we, you know, you want to borrow the word, we can irritate people or be irksome. but we've got to put those things to one side for the greater prize and the greater picture, which is the unity of God's church, because unity is everything in the battle. We have to be in unity. There's an exhortation, I might just read it actually, later on in that uh, chapter, about things we should do as part of our witness and part of our good behavior. So if you look at verse 25 onwards, I might just read that section. It says there, therefore, whereby, or wherefore, putting away lying, every man speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So truth is important. Be ye angry and sin not. Your anger should be righteous. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Paul was serious there. The same day if there's an issue, and I'm, I'm talking to myself when I say these things, by the way. I'm not talking down to people. Every one of these things applies to me, as it does to each one here present put it right with your brother if you fall out with your brother. If you have division or fighting between brothers, that's going to weaken the battle and it's going to weaken you in the stand against this formidable foe we have to face. So not to be angry and to put things right before the sun goes down. Neither give place to the devil, let him that stole steal no more, but let him rather labor working with his hands the things which are good that he may not have to give, sorry they may be able to give, a beg your pardon, to him that needed it. So we should be in a position to bless others and we should be producing and we shouldn't be sitting back and letting others carry the load or um, sponging or whatever you want to describe it. You know, as, as it says elsewhere in the scripture, if we want to eat, we should work. So we should be good witnesses and give good example in that area to others. No Christian should be lazy or be a slouch or be a bad testimony to the ones that are not saved because they'll see through it straight away and um, you lose your, your witness Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed. We're sealed here this morning. Now, I remember in Revelations, when you were looking at Revelations, you would heard about the other seal that's going to come, and it's a seal to do with the Antichrist. That's a seal to destruction. This is a seal to eternal life. We are sealed. We have an earnest. We have a promise this morning in the Holy Spirit, um, that we are set and ready and, and in place and will be redeemed by God. That's a promise we have. We're sealed. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven you. And what did Jesus say? If you don't forgive here on earth, neither will the Father forgive you in heaven. So that's a command. We have to do it. Pardon me will I reset this again. Now, if we're honest, it's possible to give place to the devil this morning. We can't fall in those areas. And if we do, we need to put them right straight away. the, The Holy Spirit brings conviction on us. Praise God, He's still present in this world. And He brings conviction. When we step out of line and when we fall, as we will do from time to time, we need to repent and put ourselves right and press forward. Uh, what I've said here is there's no standing still in the Lord You're either going backwards or you're going forwards so we stay out of the devil's territory if we linger there we're going to get picked off so we need to be pressing forward Christian life is dynamic we're on the move we're as an army we're marching on its feet so we have to go forward chapter 5 takes another change in direction again because there it's talking about behavior towards one another and it's got quite a bit to say about behavior in the church It's got a a long section there about husbands and wives. How husbands are to treat their wives. How wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. Not to please the husband, but because it's the pattern that God has set down. How children are to behave to their parents, and vice versa. How employers are to behave to employees, and vice versa. And that carries over just into the, the first part of chapter six. So we need to imitate God, to walk in love, just as Christ loved us. And this behavior towards one another, it's very important. You know, how bad it would be for me to be speaking here this morning and for you to see me in the shopping center tomorrow abusing somebody or for John to be in work tomorrow and um, railing against somebody or banging the desk or slamming the door. You know, you can't, just, you can't be here, betray one thing and be different in the world. So these relationships that take place in these places we mentioned, in the church, in the home, in the world, in the workplace, they're important. It goes beyond here on Sunday morning. So our, our testimony and our witness, it must hold sound. Or, as I said previously, you're going to lose your stand before Satan and you're going, to, you're going to be very, very restricted and hampered in this battle. Then we come to the section which I want to talk about this morning. So just a recap. We've looked at what God has done in redeeming us. We've looked at the... Um, spiritual walk, the spiritual life. We've looked at the mystery, the mystery of the gospel. Now we come to the battle. And this morning we have to realize this battle is real. It's more real than the physical skirmishes that are going on around the world, although they're severe in their own sense. It's more real than perhaps some of the assaults or violence that are going on in the streets of the city, although they're terrible in their own right. This spiritual battle actually goes beyond all of that. And it's real, and it's impacting, and we'd be very unwise if we weren't aware of it this morning and knew what to do and what part to play in this battle. So we've looked at just a quick overview of of, of, um, what those first five chapters were, were about, and part of chapter six. Now, before we just go into this this section of the armor of God, it's probably worth stopping and considering the two fronts that we battle in as Christians. We know that we're still in a fleshly body and we battle the flesh daily. The flesh is a formidable enemy and it's one that has to be mercilessly dealt with. The scriptures talk about picking up your cross and carrying it daily. It talks about crucifying the flesh. So there's something active we have to do overcome. It's like, it's like these weeds and it's like dandelions or oxalis or some of these pernicious weeds in the garden. You, you cut them off across the top and you think they're gone. And a few days later they come back through again. You have to get to the root. You have to be really, really severe and, um, and uncompromising in dealing with the fallen nature that's still with us. So our spirits are being renewed. But our physical side is a daily role of renewing by the word of God by crucifying the flesh, by taking up the cross, and by seriously looking at yourself, examining yourself before God, and making the changes that the Spirit of God would direct you to do. So that's a big battle. Then there's the battle outside of us. There's a battle with the heavenlies. There's a battle with the the forces of darkness. And um, that's spoken of in chapter 10 to 18 of Ephesians 6. So we might just read that, and then just break it up into, into its individual sections. It says there, starting at, chap- at verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Pull on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done to stand. So if we stop there, we need this armor to be able to withstand. It's not optional, it's mandatory, it's essential. Stand there for having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith where, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of the salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God very evocative and very um, pictorial language when we actually, you know, put that in our mind and imagine what he's talking about now he's not, we're not talking about um, some mystical set of armor that we put on each day I mean, ultimately we're talking here about being clothed in Jesus but he uses these these symbols to talk about different aspects of this battle this walk we're in so just looking at chapter, at verse 10 there what does it mean to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Is that something you just ask for? You know, you just pray, Lord, give me strength and give me power in your might. Or does it involve effort on our behalves? It involves effort. We have to build ourselves up in the Lord. And you know, we don't get saved by works, the salvations of the Lord, it's by grace, not of any works, lest any man should boast. But when we are saved, have to work out our salvation with fear and trepidation so there's definitely work to do we're not saved by works but we are perfected in works we need to work we need to do certain things here which are outlined and which are part of the christian walk now to be strong in the lord you can't be in sin you can't live in sin live the way of the world and expect to be strong and operate in power and might in this battle. The two will cancel each other out. They're, you'll be ineffective. So we, we need to be right before the Lord. So there's certain preparation that's taking place before we look at this armor or look at this battle. And um, it's as if we training, or you could call it spiritual stamina, you've got to build up yourself in the Holy Ghost and in the Lord. And we mentioned this morning, we heard this morning about prayer and the necessity of prayer. But well, we need to study the Word of God and um, we need to have the words of this book in us, so that we are always be prepared. And we also need to be on our knees. We need to pray. And uh, how difficult is that? Is it is, uh, it is laborsome. It's um, it's hard to pray. It's hard to actually do that work. And um, you know, when you go to do, when you go to read this book, when you go to pray, you'll find that those powers of darkness, which we're talking about this morning, they're going to come against you. They're going to try interfere. They're going to try put obstacles in your way. And don't be surprised. That's just evidence of this of this enemy that's out there. <coughs> you could think back to, to Matthew and think of, in Matthew 4, I think it was where, where Jesus is tempted. And he's tempted in the three areas that we're going to be tempted in as well. The same three areas that uh, Eve was tempted in in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. The pride of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Each time Jesus responded with the word of God, it is written, it is written, it is written. And that deflected Satan. So the, the word of God is very, very powerful, very effective. And, um, you know, Zechariah says, not by might, not by power. And that's not by our might or our power, put in brackets, but by, by spirit, says the Lord. So the Lord is the one that's, that's battling. We have this privilege of being in the battle and doing our part, but we're not actually out there fighting or attacking people. We're standing. We're standing in these things which we'll speak about in a few minutes, which are spiritual and symbolic, but part of Christ and part of his covering. So not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Verse 11 talks about putting on the whole armor of God, not some of it, Known to be sort of half-hearted Christians, not, um, you know, emphasizing one area, perhaps being weak in faith, or the whole armor, we really need the whole armor of God. If there's a chink in your armor, you'll get exposed. Now, in the Old Testament, God fought the battles. And there's many, many, many examples. And you can think about in Isaiah's time when the angel of the Lord um, wiped out over 170,000 of the um, Assyrians. There's many cases where God has gone, On fourth, on behalf of the the children of Israel. We're in a day now where we also have a privilege of partaking in this battle. And, um, you know, it says in Romans, you know, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So we're conquerors this morning. Part of the battle, we're conquerors, we're overcomers. And, um, you know, you may just look a little bit further and say in that verse, what are the wiles of the devil? One, he's not to be underestimated. He's um, not to be you know, just uh, laughed off. He is a real, he is a significant foe, but he is under the authority of Jesus. And he is effective in this day by the authority of Jesus. You know, when we go back to um, what happened at Calvary, Jesus overcame the forces of darkness. He overcame death and sin. He overcame Satan. Satan was defeated. That was like the first strike. But the battle, there's a second stage of this battle, The battle is still ongoing and Jesus left us with a great commission. The great commission is to preach the gospel to the world. That's really the battle and really this spiritual armor, this warfare we're talking about this morning, these things which we'll go into in a few minutes in detail are part of that battle. The part of actually proclaiming the gospel and seeing the captives set free, storming the gates of hell as it were. That's why we hear the the scripture of the The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're in a battle. We're in a battle, but it's a battle for the souls of men. And you heard this morning, Pastor John, we look out at the lost, and they're numerous. The battle's for their souls. You know, we may think now and get upset by behavior now, but you think ahead. What's the destiny for those people? It's eternity in the lake of fire, under great torment Great trial, great, sh- you know, we don't have words to describe what hell's going to be like. You can try to picture it in your mind's eye, but it's, I'm sure it's horrific. I can't express it this morning. You know, no matter how much I disagree with somebody or dislike what they're doing, if I lay that to one side and put on the other side and compare what hell is going to be like, I shouldn't wish that person to go to hell. I should never say go to hell. It's a terrible thing to say. You should do everything, or we should do everything in our power. Even if that person rejects, ultimately that's his choice. Give him the opportunity of knowing that there is a way, a way out that's been made. So what are the wives of the devil? Well, he can come in two ways. I've heard you described before as the serpent and the dragon. And the serpent, we know he's cunning, he's full of guile, he's an accuser, he brings fear, doubt, insinuation, he puts lies into our heart, he can plant thoughts in our mind, he can tempt us. That's the softer side. Then there's the side which is called the dragon. And that's persecution, like perhaps that, that, those, that peasant and that scientist in that prison in Romania. Persecution, physical attack, ultimately perhaps martyrdom. There's more people nowadays giving their lives for Jesus around this world than ever before. So, in that sense, just even look at that. That battle is very real. There's people dying in this battle. And, you know. That should make us all the more want to be doing our part when we see brothers and sisters that are paying the ultimate price around the world for this priceless treasure, priceless treasure we have. Verse 12, it says there, we don't, do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. So we need to be aware when we look at that the reality of the spiritual warfare. You shouldn't be ignorant. This is, it's, really, it's very real. If you don't understand it's real, or if you actually just go about busily leading your life and not paying attention to it, well, the devil's not going to involve you because you're defeated already. You're out of circulation. But it's going on. And you will be defeated. That's the bottom line. You're going to be defeated. Now, we're again, I'll just go back to what John, John, a lot of parallels of what I'm talking about this morning. We're prone to attack people in the flesh. We're prone to lash out. And, you know, I looked at those scenes in the Parliament on TV this week. I looked at a man proposed to another man, up in, a, a minister of the government or a politician proposed to a man up in the, up in the, up in the, the public stands and I, my stomach turned. It's, 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 it's sickening that, that people you know, can shake their fists and defy the living God and do those things, but it's out of ignorance. They're doing it out of ignorance. If they really knew and understood and believed what lies ahead... They want to be very silly not, not, to, not to turn their lives around. And we've got to give them the opportunity. It's, um, so this thing is real. You whether it's uh, the Muslim, the militant Muslim, militant homosexual, or the militant atheist. Whoever, they're not our real enemy. It's the force behind them that's the enemy. It's ultimately Satan. In this spiritual world, although we don't see it, it's very real. And I've experienced it. But Gemma and myself have had separate experiences where we have actually experienced that attack and that that presence of evil, that manifestation of evil. We've seen it. We know it's real. And I'm sure many probably here this morning could give testimony of situations where they've seen it revealed as well. But we're not to be surprised. We're not to be surprised or taken aback. In Corinthians it says, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty, true gods, they're pulling down of strongholds. So our weaponry this morning, which we're about to look at, they are more than sufficient. If we use them and wage them and do them according to the way that's laid out here, they are more than sufficient. What about the spiritual host that's all around us? If you think of the words from that um, chapter six, I think is the Revelations, and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. I'm not a mathematician, but I know if you factor that out, that number is going to be inexpressible. So there's an inexpressible number of the heavenly host eternally praising God at the throne. Divide that by one third and look and cast them around the atmosphere, spiritual atmosphere, around this world and in the heavenlies. That's the number of the demonic forces that are actually set on your destruction and my destruction. They don't care about the one who's fallen, they don't care about the lost, but they certainly do care about the Christian and they care about the church. Because the church is God's means or it's the it's the it's the Methodist, it's the it's the, the way He's given for His will and His gospel and His desire to be enacted on this time this time over on earth. So the church is important. The church had a great price paid for it and the church is very much the target of Satan and his host of evil and they're organized They're organized you can think of military battalions and legions these d- demons are organized with Satan at the top so we should be aware of that and realize that so so they're organized and where are they well they're I don't think I think you would agree but if you look around this world they're certainly present in the banking system. They're present in the Hollywood, in the, in the media system. They're present in the popular music system. <clears throat> they're present in the UN. They're, they're all of these massive organizations of this world. Ultimately, the power behind them is Satan. The only place this morning where he doesn't control is the true church of God, the remnant church of God, those ones who stick faithfully by the Lord Jesus. I'm sorry to say this morning, many churches have sold out. There are many churches now that are actually no longer a threat to Satan. And he'll happily leave them to one side and won't touch them. They're out of the battle. Ineffective and useless. So this battle, this is our great commission to preach the gospel to the whole world and uh, to realize that we are targets your pastor this morning is a target those in leadership in the church are targets you know it talks in Ephesians about the the Apostle the prophet the pastor the teacher the evangelist that's like you know we could talk about the military rank when you're in battle you know if you look at conventional battle the first thing that the enemy would like to do is take out the commanders take out the ones in control then disorganization and disarray comes into the forces and into the, uh, the soldiers about. So, so pray for your pastor this morning. Pray for those in authority, as the scripture asks, because they are targets. If you're doing the will of God this morning, you're a target. We come to the church to pray, and I've heard it said before, that's P-R-A-Y, Satan is here to P-R-E-Y, to pray. And that's true, because he goes about like a roaring lion seeking you know, praying about seeing who he can devour, destroy, and kill. So he's real. But, as I said earlier on, bear in mind that Jesus is in authority and Jesus is supreme. And, uh, you know, there's an interesting scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. and says, Then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, and when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. So one day all of these forces are going to be put down And uh, Satan himself is going to be cast into the lake of fire. You will have learned that in your series in Revelations. And he will go into the lake of fire along with the prophet and the beast who are residing there at the time. So his day will come. But we should not be dismissive or unaware of his power in the meantime. And we should be prepared and ready. Now verse 13 is talking about what's the proper response in spiritual warfare. It says there, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. Now, it's a bit of a repetition of verse 11, isn't it? But it also says something else there. It says that you may be be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We're called to stand. So our job is to be prepared, is to be spiritually fit, to be prepared in prayer, prepared in the word, and to take a stand and to withstand. Not to go attacking or not to... to, um, do things in our own strength, but to stand in the might of the Lord and to bear in mind that ultimately God is in control. And, uh, you know, it mentions the evil day there. Is this ever an evil day? When Paul wrote the words there, it was an evil day. Surely it's more evil now. And Jesus says, you know, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the time before he returns. So, you know, Evidence of what we're seeing this week, and we're going to see a lot worse. You know, it's, it's, uh, this is really the, the early stages. You know, when we mentioned earlier about um, manifestations of evil and, and, you know, direct demonic manifestation, we think of those things perhaps in other countries. And you know, you know, the, you know, India and some of the other countries come to mind where the demonic realm is perhaps manifests more than it does in the Western world. I believe we're going to see fairly soon as the spiritual. Force of evil pick up tempo, you're going to see a lot more of that here. Again, we shouldn't be surprised, but we have the weapons for that also. So don't be surprised. These days are coming and, um, you know, it's going to get a lot worse, a lot worse before we're taken out. Now, verse 13, as I said, what's the proper response? So stand, withstand, be faithful. And um, I put a little uh, scripture in here that came to mind that And it's just with the thought that no man can take on Satan in his own strength. And if you look at Jude 1 verse 9, it talks there about, you know, Michael the archangel. And this is after Moses had died. It says he was contending with the devil and he disputed about the body of Moses. But he did not bring against Satan any sort of a railing accusation. But he said the Lord rebuked thee." You know, if Michael the archangel respects rank, I guess the question is, we see some people doing it. What's the biblical basis for taking authority over cities or binding up demons or doing those sort of things? I suspect we're jumping out of our own own, uh, area of of, uh, authority and permit when we do that. That's not our job. We must follow the chain of command that's laid down to us. And Jesus is our commanding officer. So we do things Jesus' way. Now, there are lots of different um, uses of the word stand in the Bible. The standing in grace, in Romans. The standing in the Gospel, that's in Corinthians. The standing in courage and strength, also in Corinthians. The standing in faith, also in Corinthians. And the standing fast in the Lord. And it's actually quite a long list. So there's multiple cases of where we're actually asked to stand in different areas of the spiritual walk. Now, I remember. And I said earlier, we shouldn't be slouching. I remember when I was actually in school as a youngster, and I had a teacher, and teachers were a little bit different in those days. Were a bit more severe, I believe, but I remember, um, I always stress, I'll never forget this, I was actually like this on my desk. And I remember a duster coming down. <laughs> and the words, paw jaw. So, we're not to have our paws on our jaws. We're not to be slouched, we're not to be slacking in the area of spiritual battle. We need to be alert all the time. Now we come to the interesting section on the spiritual armor. So what spiritual armor to have? Verse 14, it says, stand there for having your loins geared about with truth. Now what is truth? Truth, here, it's, a, it's, it's represented by a symbolic belt. And um, I believe there's a couple of different aspects to truth. God's word is truth. Now, unlike what the world says, you're living nowadays in a world that's guided and steered by moral relativism and by relativistic truth. There's no set concrete truths that they adhere to. And I believe this leads to great insecurity. And uh, conversely, for us, having the truth is great security for us. There's nothing worse than not knowing where to stand to be tossed to and fro to be hesitant and not to know what the answer you give, you should give, is. It undergirds everything else. If we don't have the truth, if we don't have the basis right, then everything else falls. Jesus Christ is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Homosexual marriage wasn't true two thousand years ago; it's not true today. Whatever Jesus says in His Word hasn't changed. The truth never changes. And you know, just even to think. The word truth in itself, how, how can there be many truths? How undermining is such a statement? How can there be many truths? There has to be only one truth, or we can't stand. You know, again, unfortunately, I, I point my finger, you know, at, at many churches today, they've removed part of the truth. They're taking out parts of the truth in an effort to appease the world. You take out any of the truth, you're weakening yourself before the enemy, and you're weaker before Satan. You're a weaker church you got a weaker personal walk and a personal stand. Now th- that's God's truth. But I believe also there's a personal aspect to this truth. There's a truth that's to do with how we live our lives, our own integrity. Again, like I mentioned this morning, it's no but use me here talking this morning and and uh, and proclaiming God's word and going out tomorrow morning and abusing something at work or swearing at the top of my voice or whatever. You know, I'm being untruthful to myself. I've been a hypocrite in front of you, of you people here this morning. And, again, the people around me are going to see through it. You know, people are smart. Even the fallen people are smart. They can see hypocrisy. And Satan will see through it. So so it, it's God's truth, and it's our truth and integrity. And we need to have those in place. So going on, then, we've got the breastplate of righteousness. You know, we've got a breastplate that goes right around this whole section here. You think of all the vital organs that are in here. You've got the lungs, heart, kidneys, liver, you know, so on, all important things, and the message there is that we cannot stand in our own righteousness, but we stand in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, I, I know that we don't get saved by our own righteousness, but and when we are saved, we have to produce works of righteousness. But consider what happens. For example, consider what happens when a when a, when a minister falls. You perhaps, unfortunately nowadays there are many Christian ministers that are remarrying, they're divorcing, remarrying, which is against what God says. There are those who are, caught up in adultery. I'm not picking ministers in particular, but just for that position, because it's like, what I said, it's like one of the generals or one of the, it's one of the, the, the leaders or the commanders in, 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 the, um, in this war against the Lord. When that happens, when they fall, that's a great victory for Satan. It's a great victory for Satan, and uh, it disqualifies that person from ministry. It takes him out of the battle, and it's a terrible wound. So, I mean this, to preserve righteousness and to protect ourselves and to to watch this um, testimony, it's it's vital. And Proverb seven comes comes to mind. You know, Proverb seven, where it talks about the immoral woman and the and the foolish or stupid man, and he allows himself and walks into a trap. He gets seduced, and what it says is. His end is his liver gets pierced with an arrow, I and mean, when you wound in the liver, it's normally fatal. You know, a terrible thing. So our testimony, our breastplate—that thing that covers our righteousness and uh, and, and and our testimony—that's really important to keep that in place. And uh, you know, if very very hard to um, to get back into a position of respect and and acceptance, you know, when you've actually done that. I mean, we're called to to forgive, and Jesus does forgive. Praise God. But the world doesn't forgive. If you look at you look at what's happening with these people in Hollywood, you know, the Weinstein's and you know, Burke's backyard and whatever all these 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 celebrities, you know, when they got caught out, the world's merciless on them. Even though it's hypocritical and the world's partaking in the same sins itself, yet they're merciless and they 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 won't they won't give them peace. And you know, we have forgiveness, but uh, it's a hard thing to actually to build up your testimony again. And it takes time to do it. So. So we shouldn't fall in that area. Going on then, it says, we must be prepared to be shod, or your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel, as we heard this morning, is the best thing for the lost soul. It's better than giving him money. It's better than railing at him. It's better than, than getting into fisticuffs with him. It's the gospel that's going to save a soul. Isaiah 52, verse 7 how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that sayeth unto Zion, thy God reigneth. So those who bring the gospel of peace, the good news, they're the ones to be welcome. mightn't seem like it when you engage the sinner or engage the lost, but if you win him over, he'd be more than, more than grateful, more than thankful to you. And, uh, you know, How many testimonies have you heard about how how grateful somebody is that somebody took the time to pray or to to share the word or give them a tract rather than perhaps abuse them and drive them further into darkness? 1 Peter 3 verse 15 it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason at the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let the gospel do its work. Now, These three things we just spoke about, they're fixed on us. We've got a fixed belt, we've got a breastplate that's fixed in place, and we've got a... um, a, uh (coughs) Now we have the mobile or movable items. We have the the shield of faith, and the shield, you know, can be a small little shield, perhaps can be the big long shield that um, you see perhaps the riot police using, but... This faith, this faith is important. It's imp- important to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And this shield of faith, it talks to there symbolically about these fiery darts. Now, if Satan showers you with f- these fiery darts, so whether it's like the, the serpent or, or the, uh, the dragon, you know, whether it's thoughts or accusation, or whether it's physical things, whether it's illness, whatever, if you come under a barrage, perhaps a small shield's not enough I don't know if you've ever watched the, um, any of these pictures with, of the ancient Roman legions, and they had they formed this phalanx where they get the, the shields all around them, and they put the shields over the top of the heads and all, and all these arrows come down, and they, they just they can't penetrate. And it gave me a picture of um, of the strength we have in one another. So if, you have, if you're facing a situation, or you're battling, if you have a trustworthy or reliable brother who has faith, you can call him alongside, you can call him to actually pray, and to and see that it could be like, those shields being built around you to protect you against the attack of the enemy. So fate deflects these darts and, um, s- strength in numbers, really, strength in numbers will be the, the summary there. The helmet, well the helmet protects the head and the brain, and isn't the mind a great battle price of, uh, the force of the darkness? Isn't our mind where we actually give in to things first? Doesn't everything start? in the mind with a thought, and eventually lead to to full-blown sin. So is is it important to guard the mind? I'd say yes. The mind is a battleground, and it's a key battleground. That's where discouragement, doubt, fear, temptation all originate in the mind. What happens when you play with drugs? Just as an aside. And uh, God forbid that any Christian will be doing that whether it's hard drugs or whether it's the abuse of alcohol, when you actually let your mind, you don't take your thoughts captive, you let your mind open, open to this realm that's in operation around you, dangerous thing to do. The whole aspect there of pharmakey and all the things it could be a separate sermon, but um, it's important to keep your mind guarded, to take your thoughts captive and to keep your thoughts under control. And we know that Jesus says that if he's, Sinning by thought, it's almost the same. It's as if you've actually done it indeed. So it's important to cast down thoughts and imaginations and to keep the mind and protect the mind. And how can you do that? Well, the helmet is often called the helmet of salvation. The assurance of your salvation is a wonderful and a powerful thing. To be assured and to know you're saved. Now, I've met people in the past, and I've talked to people who have doubted of salvation. And that's a terrible situation to be in. And uh, there's certain extreme, I believe, aspects of, the, of the, the Christian world that will cause people to actually question the salvation. And you shouldn't do it. If the Spirit of God is bringing you conviction in your life, you know what when you're doing wrong, that witnesses in your life, you know you're saved. The Spirit of God resides in you. You know you're saved. And you should never doubt your salvation. Your salvation is a powerful, the assurance of your salvation is a powerful thing knowing who we are, knowing what we have and who we serve in Jesus. And with Thessalonians 5, verse 8, it says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Amen. Finally, we're talking about the sword of the Spirit. It says there in, um, where are we in? Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is the offensive weapon, isn't it? And it's um, something that uh, we can wield. You know, in the ancient days, the swords were made of iron. Before the days of stainless steel, we know in Scripture it talks about iron, sharpening iron. And uh, God inspired this book this morning to be written you put the words in the minds of the authors who put this book together spirit of God the same spirit this morning can illuminate and can actually bring the scripture to life can bring you a word in a time of offense or a time of attack and as we've seen with Jesus when he attempted the word of God is a very very effective weapon against Satan he understands the word inside out he knows how to twist it and how to corrupt it but when it's quoted correctly And quoted in power and inspired by the Spirit, it's the most effective of weapons. And, uh, you know, we should um, not neglect the Word of God for all different situations. We know that famous, wonderful scripture in Hebrews 4, verse 12, when I love, for the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents. Of the heart sharper than any two-edged sword so it's a it's a mighty thing verse 18 the concluding verse it says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching therefore unto with all perseverance and supplication for the Saints praying always with all prayer so spiritual strength might and power and the armor they're all enabled by a praying Christian Prayer, as we've said before, it's labor-intensive and requires effort and attention, but without it, nothing is achieved. And we'd be deceiving ourselves if we go into battle this morning without being prepared in prayer. And um, as I said, Satan will do everything to distract us from prayer. Prayer is a mighty thing. Prayer is very, very effective against him, and he doesn't want us to do it or to partake in it. James 5.16, it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much that's quite an all-encompassing statement available much satan is threatened by praying christians simple prayers silent prayers childlike prayers prayers on the move corporate prayer praying in the spirit intercessory prayer where we have the privilege to wage warfare on behalf of a brother or sister or another who's in need prayers for the government prayers for nations fasting and prayer there are many many forms of prayer and they're all essential in the battle so to bring it to conclusion We're all reconciled and redeemed as born-again Christians this morning for God's glory. We've learned that we have a great mystery that's been revealed to us. And we've learned that we're called to high standards of behavior in his church. And we're called to live in the spirit. We're called to do spiritual battle. And the battle is God's commission. The battleground, well, there's different zones. You know, there's a battleground in the church. There's a battleground in the home. There's a battleground in the workplace. And when we go out in the streets, perhaps, there's a battleground in the world of large. We've learned that the weapons, they're not symbolic. Sorry, I beg your pardon, they're, they're symbolic, but not in a mystical way. It's not um, like the Catholics would do and put, and I'm an ex-Catholic, so I understand, putting a crucifix or a medal of St. Christopher or something around you and um, calling in that for protection. It's not some mystical or, or like a talisman or something that has power attached to it in that sense. But it symbolizes being clothed in Jesus. And they represent different aspects. I mean, we mentioned what the aspects were. His truth, his righteousness, his gospel, his faith, his salvation, his word. So my encouragement today would be to put on Jesus. Romans thirteen twelve: put on the armor of light. And then following verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our spiritual weaponry. I have some questions today to challenge all of us, just to wrap up. And the um, first question is, are you a, des- a deserter today? Have you left the fight? If so, Satan is happy to see you withdraw. He's not going to touch you. You're out of circulation. The world is lost. The deserter, he's not going to do any harm. So don't be a deserter. Don't leave the fight. Are you consumed with the things of the world so much that they actually don't leave any time for this battle? Remember, as we said at at the start, all the material things are blessing. Don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and destroy, as Matthew says. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust are corrupt, nor where thieves break through and destroy. So our emphasis should be on spiritual treasures and getting that balance right. I know we have to live in this world. I know it's a well-known saying, we're in the world, but not of the world. But it is correct that we get the balance right. And um, the priority is the battle and the spiritual warfare and the Great Commission. They take higher priority over our comfort, our nice life, our well-being, all of the good things we like to enjoy and pamper ourselves with. Next question is, have you been wounded? If you consider a battle, it's often a tactic of the enemy to wound somebody. Because when you wound somebody... It takes perhaps two or three people to take that person out of circulation or to look after them. Are you a drain this morning on those around you, by inference? Are you wounded and actually interfering with the battle, hampering, drawing away people, wasting their time, spiritually, whatever? Well, then stop. Come and get healed. The last question, are you an armchair general? Are you sitting in the back, talking, giving instruction, saying, I think she'll be done, what's right, what's wrong, but not doing the heavy lifting? You'll be safe as well. Satan won't touch you. But enter into this battle, I can guarantee that you will be attacked and you will need to use this weaponry. Now, if you're challenged by these things this morning or if you feel that you're letting your guard slip, well, praise God, you can be restored and put right. And my prayer this morning is that See the battle for what it is, and um, be involved. Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater commander, no better one to serve this morning than Jesus. When I get to heaven, and I know we all stand before the beam of seat of the Lord, I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to bring with me something of eternal substance, I don't want to see everything burned up in the fire and just me left, and um, just scraping in by the skin of my thi- teeth. I want to be worthy and, and counted as a faithful servant, and I'm sure everybody here this morning is the same, because we all face that judgment. And anything that we've done that's worthless or of value, it is going to be burned up as hay and stubble. And I'll just finish, just with the words. I want to just speak the words of a well-known hymn because I think it encapsulates what we're talking about this morning. The words are, and we know the hymn, perhaps, victory we have in Jesus Christ. It says, victory we have in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness for he was crucified. Wholeness in every part of me. Deliverance, his life has set me free. I'm reigning with him upon the throne. Remember this morning, we're reigning in the heavenlies and conquering over Satan's power below. We're in a a battle and we can be victorious. Conquering over Satan's power below. Living life with Christ as Lord and King our commander. Amen. May God bless you all this morning. Praise the Lord. I hope that's a word of encouragement and something that will challenge you and get you thinking today.